From Odyssey, I'm Lauren Barry, and this is the On Deadline podcast, where we bring you the top story out of our radio newsrooms across the country. On Deadline this week is an update on the war in Ukraine and the NATO summit. Russia's invasion of Ukraine is nearing the 18-month mark, and neither side is showing any sign of buckling. Despite an uprising in Russia, more munitions being sent to Ukraine, and the addition of more countries near the battle zone to NATO, the war continues to rage on. Finland has already become a new member of the Intergovernmental Military Alliance, initially founded to check the power of the former Soviet Union. And Sweden is on its way this week after working through opposition from Turkey related to Kurdish radicals living in the Scandinavian country. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is also continuing to push for his country to be accepted into NATO. However, not everyone is on board with Ukraine joining. Although the U.S. has been a steadfast ally of Ukraine since the invasion began, even President Joe Biden has said that NATO should wait until the invasion is over before admitting Ukraine into its ranks. That's according to CNN. If Ukraine does join NATO, it could lead to direct conflict between the U.S., a leading member nation, and Russia. That's why Biden has championed for the war to end first, and why the U.S. has supplied Ukraine with controversial cluster bomb weapons. Don Jensen, senior advisor at the U.S. Institute of Peace and a former diplomat at the U.S. Embassy in Moscow, joined KCBS Radio in San Francisco Tuesday to discuss the complications associated with letting Ukraine into NATO at this time. Clearly, there are NATO nations helping Ukraine fight against the Russian invasion. So if they're willing to help... What's the holdup here? I mean, Ukraine is in a race against time, and it seems there's not a sense of urgency from NATO and, and its leaders. Well, you're exactly right. But the problem is, is that in an alliance with 30-plus members, you need unanimity. And there is large unanimity about supporting Ukraine militarily. There's a large unanimity about eventually for membership, as you just said. But the timeline is not clear. And in any case, a lot of people do not want to get taken in a country which is already at war because that would mean they're at war. And so uh, you saw this incredibly long communique this morning coming out of the meeting. And the good news is that uh, they took away the so-called membership action plan requirement, which will make it easier for Ukraine to join. But there is no timetable. And I think that's frustrated. I know it's frustrated the Ukrainian leadership. In fact, President Zelensky yesterday talked about the delay as absurd. So uh, whether the glass is half full or half empty, and Washington is chattering about it as we speak, I think the bottom line is that Ukraine is closer to membership, but it's not clear enough when, and we'll have to see how that plays out. This uh, next year's summit is in Washington. A lot of people say that would be the time to take them in, but it's not going to happen yet. But I do think at the end of the day, it will happen. And that's the good news. So there was some reference to certain conditions. Do they know what those are and they don't want to say or are they just waiting? Well, they know what those are. Yes, they do. And that has to do with the widespread perception and correct five years ago that Ukraine needs reform of its court system, of its corruption problem and other issues that would give its internal workings a standard that approaches those of of Europe. Now, the problem is, of course, that Ukraine has made a great deal of progress on it. Uh, a lot, there's an army of uh, people in Washington and elsewhere working on these problems, and uh, I think they are, are doing a far better job of it. You remember the controversy a few weeks, months ago about whether 
they, they were, the weapons we were giving them were being used properly. Well, there's no evidence really that they're not being used properly. They are. And so some people wonder whether this comment about democracy is really an excuse not to take him in now. It's not clear, but clearly the perception that Ukraine was or is or maybe will be corrupt as holding the process back. But I don't think that's the central problem. The central problem is Ukraine is at war. Ukraine will not be allowed to join until the war is over. And that may be seen in the Kremlin as an incentive to keep fighting, even though the Russians are not doing very well. So we'll have to see. But as everything else in this debate, there's a lot of levels here, too. A lot of NATO countries just don't want any part of a conflict with Russia. Others, most notably the Balts, Poland, the UK, to some extent, want to be much tougher with, with Putin. Biden now and the Biden administration is now seen as on the more cautious side by a lot of people on this question. And there's the residual issue of would Putin escalate, which means to use nuclear weapons. And that scares a lot of people uh, and a lot of governments all over NATO. So you could pick the outcome today as half full or half empty. I personally think it's half full, although I would like, I'd like to see more, more of a map to the eventual membership. But I think Ukraine is going in the right direction. And I think in the foreseeable future, it will be a member. The NATO summit wrapped up Wednesday, but NATO's members and allied nations aren't the only ones struggling for power in the world right now. Russia faced its own internal power struggle last month when the mercenary group Wagner began marching on the capital in an effort to start a revolution. The mutiny was short-lived as the two sides came to an agreement, and mercenary boss Yegevny Prigozhin called off the Moscow march. Russian President Vladimir Putin reportedly met with Prigozhin. David Marples, a professor of Russian and European history, as well as politics for the University of Alberta, joined KNX News Radio in Los Angeles to discuss this meeting. Well, uh, first of all, not only Prigozhin met with Putin, uh, 35 members of the Wagner Group, including the leaders of all the various units, uh, were gathered in the Kremlin. So it was quite an official occasion. And they spent three hours uh, talking. So clearly, something that was that was quite in-depth it was not just a fleeting meeting saying you know are you traitors do you still respect me um it was something a little bit more and, and they pledged their allegiance to putin in that meeting and said that the the uprising had never been directed against him it had been directed against the leader of the army and the minister of defense um i don't know whether that really uh, means that they should be set free um, and I noticed that the Parliament, uh, the Dumas, had a big discussion about it as well. And it's really mixed impressions. I mean, one, one MP stood up and said that they should have a bullet. The leaders should get a bullet and commit suicide. Uh, another said that they had a perfect right to do this. They were dissatisfied and that these private military companies were very important to the war effort. You know, But the fact is that these companies were going to become part of the regular army on July the 1st, a week, a week later. Uh, after this happened. And so it does seem to be a move to preempt that rather than try to get rid of Putin. Doesn't he look uh, mostly weak because one of the initial reasons, right, for his going into Ukraine was his concern that the West, in his view, was encroaching on, on Russian territory, in effect. And yet, uh, you know, Finland has now joined NATO today. Uh, 
Turkey has indicated that it will, uh, you know, not oppose uh, the uh, inclusion of Sweden into NATO. So in that sense, isn't that alone enough to make him look incredibly weak? Yeah, I mean, I think on two fronts, really, Putin has, has failed. I mean, first of all, he's not he's not removed the government in Kiev, which was supposed to do within about four days after the war started. That was a complete disaster. And subsequently, as you say, NATO has, has enlarged even more, mainly because these countries are frightened of Russian intrusions. It's not because NATO has a desire particularly to expand or enlarge itself further. It's more that these countries are concerned about the uncertainty of having borders with Russia in the case of, of Finland. And, you know, Sweden has been traditionally neutral for a long time and suddenly decides it's going to go the same way. So these countries are really not ganging up so much on Russia, but more um, pr protecting themselves from potential intrusions. And I think it does make it seem really farcical that the reasons for going into Ukraine, the official ones, were NATO enlargement or neo-Nazis in Ukraine and wanted to demilitarize Ukraine. I mean, there are far more neo-Nazis in Russia than, than there have ever been in Ukraine, and it's beginning to look a little bit farcical now. While world leaders and experts try to find a way to end this conflict in Ukraine, its humanitarian toll continues to climb. More than 9,000 civilians have been killed since the invasion began last February, including 500 children, according to the United Nations. Violent attacks on civilian areas, such as shopping malls, have continued to claim lives in recent weeks, and Russia's invasion has also displaced refugees from Ukraine around the globe. Those interested in helping people impacted by the invasion can find ways to help through the Center for International Disasters Information at CIDI.org. This show is produced by Joe Heady, Christy Strauser, Myron Kaplan, and Bill Smee. I'm Lauren Barry, and I want to say thanks for listening to the On Deadline podcast, Odyssey serving of the top news story just for you. Subscribe on the Odyssey app or wherever you find your podcasts to stay informed.